Good to see you all here this beautiful Sunday morning. And as we read a new PowerPoint this morning, I'm sure some of you are thinking, what do you mean new PowerPoint? It's still January. Well, actually, we're going to bump back our study of our word for the year just a week uh, because this Tuesday at 1255, Terry and I are leaving on a jet plane. Uh, we are headed for Israel and uh, very, very excited about that. I was telling first service, yes, um, this is going to be a little bit of a different trip for us than yeah, I was thinking back to the very first time we went to Israel. Actually, I was asked to when Pastor Chuck, uh, his cancer was advancing. There was a trip with five buses planned, and they asked me to take uh, his bus. And uh, we got over to Israel in the middle of February, and uh, it had snowed, and it was rainy and windy, and it was cold. And, you know, for those who know me, I'm a little bit, when it comes to message preparation and organizational things, Probably lean a little bit towards OCD. I like things done in a certain way and manner and time. And uh, these things are very important to me. And I was told I'd be teaching six times as the buses would pull over and i teach the group sessions. Well, the weather was so bad, all of a sudden they switched gears and said, you're going to do all the teaching on the bus. So I went from teaching six times to about 22 times uh, in the space of this uh, 12 or 13 day period, whatever it was. So... Basically, I drove from stop to stop, or we did, and I studied the whole time. I got up studying, I studied for the next stop between stops, and it was all I did was study and teach. And by the way, I will never complain about studying and teaching. I love to study the Word of God. I love to teach the Word of God. And we were talking with Amir the last time he was here, saying, you know, someday we just like to go to Israel, not you know, be a part of a trip or, or teach and all that stuff. Someday we just like to go. Well, two days later, we found out we're going. And uh, Behold Israel has sponsored us and uh, said we have those who underwrite. Yes. We have those who underwrite pastors and their wives to come over to Israel and just enjoy uh, the country and the time. And uh, two of the names uh, on that list are Stagner. So Terry and I are leaving uh, this Tuesday, actually, our son and daughter-in-law are going too. Uh, my son works for Behold Israel and uh, does all their graphics and uh, editing and all that sort of thing. So it's going to be a great time. So we would appreciate your prayers uh, during that time. Uh, we sent a letter to Bashar al-Assad in Syria asking him not to blow up the Ben-Gurion airport like he threatened to do until we have arrived and safely gone home. Uh, but we have no concern about our safety. The Lord has ordered our days and numbered our steps, and we won't go to heaven before our time. And I've already submitted in the Lord's suggestion box that we go in the group plan with all y'all. So we'll go together. Amen. So with that said, we'll look at our PowerPoint verse for February, this January 27th. So would you open your Bibles to James chapter 1? Our PowerPoint verse we just read is obviously verse 12. We'll look at 12 to 18 this morning in a message that I believe is very timely. And many in first service uh, were in agreement with that fact. Now, we mentioned in our opening message for 2019 concerning our word as we studied our PowerPoint verse for the year, our theme verse, that is, Revelation 22:14, that there are a trio of duets, so to speak, 
concerning our word that we're going to encounter this year. We noted we're going to pronounce our word two different ways, blessed and blessed. We also made mention that we're going to study our word from two different languages, Hebrew and also Greek. And in each of those two languages, we're going to look at two different words that will help us come to a full understanding of the word blessed. Now, the first word that we uh, mentioned last time is Baruch, and it is the proclamation made of those who are watching Jesus in his triumphal entry, riding on the prophesied uh, foal of a donkey into Jerusalem, where they proclaimed, Blessed or Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the word Baruch means to kneel in adoration or to simply bless the Lord or offer blessing to the Lord. A second Hebrew word we're going to encounter is the word eris, and it means happiness. And it's very similar to a word we'll look at in Greek, at least in meaning, where we're going to encounter the Greek word makarios, and it means happiness or oh, how happy. And then our finally, our final word that we'll study from the Greek, that is, completing our uh, two words from two languages is eulogitos, and it's obviously a word for eulogy, which means praise words. But the word actually means adoration or to be praised. And obviously God is the object of our adoration. God is the object of our praise. Amen? Now, the word used in our PowerPoint verse for February, makarios, is found 49 times in the New Testament. Ten times we find it in what's called the Beatitudes, the opening teaching of the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself, obviously the first teaching of Jesus recorded in the Bible. Now, just to kind of open our hearts and minds up to exactly how important blessed or blessing is to our lives, we'll look at the Beatitudes from Matthew 5, 1 to 12 to set the tone for the day. And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, what's the next word? Blessed, makarios. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward, when and where? In heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I think it's important to highlight the fact that the book of Psalms, which is a tremendous book of life application principles, and the very first teaching of Jesus, at least recorded in the Bible, are covering the subject of how to live a blessed life. Now, James, the Lord's half-brother, so to speak, is going to add to our understanding from Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount, as he is going to cover the same subject in the first chapter of his epistle to the church. Now, it's interesting that he pairs contrasting terms, which was a common practice of Peter as well, when he is talking about blessing 
and trials. As Peter would talk about trials and rejoicing. He even said in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the what? The fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Christians will be no strangers to fiery trials. But do what? Rejoice, our word from last year. To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, I know this is all of your default behavior that we just read. Every time you're in a trial, you guys automatically are glad and rejoice. Right? Who likes trials? I saw a couple of hands go up. We have counseling afterwards for those who say they like, I don't like trials. I want nothing to do with them. Do you? No, we don't want trials, but we do experience trials. And we're not to think that they are something that is strange or specific just to us. And it's oftentimes that fiery trials are when God's people are tempted to doubt and question God. It is often during fiery trials that God's people are tempted to stop waiting on the Lord. It is often during fiery trials that some of God's people are even tempted to blame God for what's going on in their life and see nothing positive or nothing to be glad and rejoice about. And the same thing happened in first service that as soon as I said that, it got really quiet in here. Now, God's plan for us is exactly the opposite. God's plan for us when trials come our way is that we experience blessings, not failures. We don't have to fall apart when a trial is being experienced. Now, James even put it like this in 1-2 of the same chapter. My brethren, count it all what? Joy when you fall into Various trials and when the path of life, the steps ordered by the Lord lead you into a time of trial, you can experience joy even during that season. So here's the thing. How do we do that? How do we count it all joy? How do we rejoice that we're partaking of Christ's sufferings and live a blessed life when reviled and persecuted for his name's sake? How do we do these things, especially in a time where evil is called good and good is called evil? And we're told that in the last days, men will be inventors of evil things. And I will say this morning, there's nothing more evil than killing a child in its mother's womb up until the day before it is to be born. And yet we have states today approving of such activities. We have peoples who have voted these into office who make such decisions and write such laws. How can we count it all joy that we partake of Christ's sufferings and live a blessed life when reviled and persecuted for his name's sake? When Christianity and its precepts and doctrines are viewed as evil, yet a religion that is demeaning to women, that doesn't say love your enemies but kill them, is promoted and protected by the government, and that being Islam. Now, how do we do these things? I'm glad you ask. Because these are going to be the things we address this morning. Now, I will tell you I toyed with a title a little bit for this message. And the title that I was thinking about is, Your Blessed Life Now. 
but I heard there was a book of a similar sounding title. So I didn't want to uh, confuse fiction with fact, so to speak. So here is our title for this morning, and it's something we need now more than ever. And our title this morning is Blessed Endurance. Our title is Blessed Endurance. Now, what we're going to be reminded of is that we have the blessed assurance as someone in Christ that we can be blessed and endure our times of fiery trials, which first requires that we understand what endure actually means. Now, the Greek word for endure is hupomeno, and it means to preserve or persevere, rather. It can mean to abide, which we could say stay put. It also means to preserve under times of misfortune. It can also mean figuratively to bravely and calmly bear ill treatment. Anybody been ill treated for being a Christian? And yet we can calmly and bravely face or bear these things. Now, we can also gain a bit more clarity by seeing where else this same word, uh, uh, I want to say hoopamony, that's cheerful endurance, uh, where this word endure is used, including in Matthew 10, 22, where we're told, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who what? Endures. He who bravely and calmly bears ill treatment to the end shall be saved. Second Timothy 2, 11 to 13, Paul employs the same word, where he says, this is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, when trials get the best of us, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot do what? He cannot deny himself. Listen, faithfulness isn't a practice of God. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. He is faithful. He cannot deny that of his glorious attributes. And these are two of the greatest blessings of endurance, being saved and someday reigning with him. Have I mentioned Jesus is coming soon? Jesus is coming soon. Amen. So let's learn about how we can experience blessed endurance and not be tempted to doubt God, question God, blame God, when experiencing the fiery trials of life or even being reviled and persecuted for his name's sake. Because the truth is, the Bible says very clearly that things are going to get worse and then they're going to get a lot better forever. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So, if you're ready this morning, and if you're not, stand and read with me, please. James 1, 12 to 18, and we'll learn how to encounter and employ blessed endurance. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And Father, we are thankful for our time and text this morning. And Lord, we're thankful that we even live in such a time as this, with the expectation of your return not only being imminent, but seemingly near, even at the door. So, Lord, as we, in the meantime, occupy till you come, teach us how to do so with blessed endurance this morning. We ask this in and through the name that is above all others, the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Our first observation is going to come from our PowerPoint verse, that being verse 12, where blessings are promised to those who endure temptation. Now, again, the word blessing, makarios, means, uh, literally it means to be supremely blessed. It can mean happy. It can also mean happier. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we would all agree we're happier when we're supremely blessed. So we can be supremely blessed all the time if we understand how to endure fiery trials. Now, if we look carefully at this verse, we're going to see a promise made. We're going to see personal application. Then we'll see the reward of blessed endurance, that being the crown of life. Now, we're told, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is approved, other translations render that tried, which is probably more fitting to our understanding and a better choice. And the Greek word is dokimos. And Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great Bible commentator, wrote of these verses, or of verse 12, he said, in the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today, and there was no paper money. All money was made from metal. Heated until liquid, poured into molds, and allowed to cool. And when the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off uneven edges. The coins were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them closely, even after they were distributed. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens, Greece, to stop the practice of shaving down coins then in circulation. Some money changers were men of integrity who would accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor who put only genuine, full-weighted money into circulation. And these men were called dokimos, or men who were approved. That gives us a little bit of an understanding or illustration as to what's being said here concerning our encounters with the trials of life. Paul would say in 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, from verse 12, about the blessings of those who endure the trials of life, and what Paul wrote to Timothy, we could well understand that the blessed life is a life that is lived in accordance with the word of God. And this life leads to, there's the application, living according to the word of God. This leads to the promise of God that we receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who have strong feelings about him. No, to those who what? To those who love him. Now remember, the context is trials that are the frequent cause of temptations in the life of God's people. And those with blessed assurance, listen now, back to what Barnhouse said, those who have blessed endurance 
do not shave anything off of the character or nature of God when they experience trials. These are those who have been approved. Their understanding of God is full and intact as they experience the difficulties of life. And in James 1, 5-8, James said this prior to our verses, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give to all the people he really likes, and the rest that's too bad. Who gives to all. How? Liberally, meaning without reservation and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no what? No doubting. And then James says, listen, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, unstable in all his ways or supremely blessed are the two options that are presented to us here. Now, have you ever needed wisdom during a trial? Have you ever gone through one of those times where it's like, what in the world is going on? What is the Lord trying to keep me from? What is the Lord trying to lead me to? I don't know the difference in the decisions. I need some divine wisdom. I need the wisdom that comes from above, which James also says is first pure. And boy, do we need pure wisdom today. Now, James says, listen, the motive for resisting temptation is because you love God. Overcoming the power of sinful temptation by the power of the Spirit is driven by our love for God. Now, Deuteronomy tells us that this is nothing new. In 7.9, we're told, therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with who? Those who love him and... Keep his commandments. A thousand generations is a Hebraism for forever. Now the beloved said in 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. Now, we need to pause for a moment and say something about what may be the second most important thing any human being can hear. And the first would be John three sixteen. That's the primary importance for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The second thing I think that we need to see here, and the second most important reality we need to address, is that the doubter of God who is unstable and double-minded, that means to be two-spirited or of divided interest, not fully committed, would be a way to understand it, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Is that what our text says? The double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways, will not receive anything from the Lord. Does anything include the crown of life? I couldn't get an answer out of first service either. Anything means anything. So, we're in the same letter. We're in the same context. And anything means anything. And therefore, the Lord wants us to be fully committed to him. And he doesn't want us to be unstable in all of our ways. Now, we as Christians mess up. We've all questioned God. Come on. We've all doubted. We've all said in our minds, maybe it didn't make it to our lips. Maybe that's why God put the tongue behind two rows of teeth. (laughs) But we've all said it in our minds. God, what are you doing? Or God, why didn't you do? We've all been there. We've all done that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a lifestyle pattern 
or someone who is partially committed to the Lord yet still committed to the world. The double-minded man, one of a one who is two-spirited, one who is divided in interest, that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, here's our point of application, the first of our three. Listen this morning. There will never, say never, there will never be a time or reason not to trust and obey God. There will never be a time or reason not to trust and obey God. We sang a wonderful old hymn this morning, spiced it up a little bit, thoroughly enjoyed that. Made me think of another hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy. What's another word for happy, scripturally speaking? Blessed. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be blessed in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, here's something we need to take note of. I think that often gets overlooked because there's so many wonderful things in the opening chapter of James. It often gets, gets visited in sections. And the first thing we need to recognize is that James draws a bridge between trials and temptations in verses 9 through 11, where he says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field he will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now let's put this in plain English. James says this, If you're poor in life, Glory in the fact that someday you're going to be exalted in the heavenlies and live forever with Jesus. If you're poor in life, don't let that be the determining factor of your outlook in life. Keep your uplook intact and your outlook will be one that is blessed. He says, in contrast, if you're rich in life, you need to remember that death is the great equalizer. And just like the sun burns up the grass of the field and causes the flower to fall or fade, so too will the rich die just like anyone else, and you can't take it with you. So, here's his conclusion. Whether you are rich or poor, trust and obey. Listen, let me add to that. Whether it's culturally acceptable or not, trust and obey God. Whether it makes you an outcast of society or not, trust and obey God. Whether you are threatened with ostracization because of your faith in Jesus Christ, trust and obey God. If you're mocked because of your doctrinal positions based on the scripture on social issues, trust and obey God. If you are hated by all men's sake because of Jesus or for his sake, because of Jesus, trust and obey God. God, there's a pattern developing here. No matter what, trust and listen, you're never going to go through anything where the most important feature of your life is not trusting God. We need to trust him in the good times. We need to trust him in the bad times. We need to trust him in the things in between. And we need to make sure that our trials don't build a bridge into temptations because of our life circumstance. Now, we need more blessed endurance today. I'll wait for more than that. We need more blessed endurance today because those without it cannot and should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Those who trust and obey God can expect to receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. 
How do we love him? Deuteronomy 7, 9 says we keep his commandments. Now, 13 and 14, let's take a revisit there. Now, James makes a very interesting point, one that needs to be heard today, where he says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, what? Desires and enticed. Now, our text decimates the belief that God's sovereignty requires that he be the author or initiator of all things good and all things evil. As a matter of fact, many of those who are of the Calvinistic mentality, who view the sovereignty of God through that lens, need to study what John Calvin actually said on these verses before us, 12 or 13 and 14 of James 1. Calvin's commentary said this, When Scripture ascribes blindness or hardness of heart to God, it does not assign to him the beginning of blindness, nor does it make him the author of sin so as to ascribe to him the blame. Scripture asserts that the reprobate are delivered up to depraved lust. But is it because the Lord depraves or corrupts hearts? By no means. For their hearts are subjected to depraved lust because they are already corrupt and vicious. In other words, what Calvin is saying is that we're all sinners and we need a savior. And we're drawn away by our own lusts and enticed. So let me just say this uh, regarding what uh, Calvin interjected here. Listen, if your opinion doesn't line up with the Bible, you need to get your opinion lined up with the Bible. Because if one of the two of you are wrong and right, you're the one that's wrong because the Bible is always right. Amen? Now, these verses also reject the notion that Jesus had the capacity for sin. Is Jesus God? Does it say that God is not tempted by evil? We just read it. God is not tempted by evil. So if Jesus is God, he wasn't tempted by evil. James says people are tempted by their own lusts. The word desires means to long for the forbidden, and the same Greek word is translated as lust elsewhere in the New Testament. Now, you might be thinking, and I'm sure you are, since you're good students of the word, wait a minute, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Well, let me say this. Satan wasn't appealing to the lust of the flesh in Jesus because he didn't have any. He wasn't tempted to turn stones into bread. He wasn't tempted to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple and thus test God. He wasn't tempted to bow down and worship Satan in order to avoid the cross, yet take back control of the world. Satan threw things at Jesus, but Jesus was not drawn away or enticed by Satan. He's God. He is not tempted by evil. So what was going on? I don't know. I have an idea, though, and you're going to hear it in a minute. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, tested as we are, yet without sin. He had a sinless nature. He had no capacity for sin. Now, this is interesting. Satan came to Jesus with all the temptations that you and I encounter. But because Jesus was sinless by nature, because he's God, there was no chance of any of these temptations leading him to sin. Now, the word test means simply to, or tempt means to test or prove. So, if Jesus is God, and he is, and if God cannot be tempted by evil, and he can't, what was the point of tempting Jesus? Well, here's the answer. 
1 Corinthians 10.13 says, no temptation. Say no temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Somebody say amen. amen. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. In other words, he has a leash on the devil. He can't tempt you beyond your ability to endure. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you, Christian, might be able to what? Bear it. Jesus was tempted by Satan to show us there is a way of escape from every temptation. What did Jesus say to each temptation the devil threw at him? It is written. Jesus was tempted so we could see how to get out of allowing trials to lead us into temptation. Listen, Jesus despised the shame of the cross. But it was his calling. It was the reason that he came. Satan tried to test him or take that trial and use it as a temptation and entice him to avoid the cross by saying, just bow down before me and I'll hand the world back over to you. He knew why Christ came into the world. He came into the world to crush his head as he bruised his heel. Now, what this means as far as application for you and I is do what the Bible says when trials and temptations come. Just do what the Word of God says when we are in fiery trials. Do what the Word of God says when our trial is poverty. Do what the Word of God says when our temptation is riches or the pursuit of them. And as James points out the genealogy of sin, which is desire, enticement, and death, he compares the lust of the flesh to a harlot, which means, and the Greek word used there is to entrap or to allure, or to beguile. The Bible does not try and hide the fact that sin can be very alluring. It can promise many things, but it hides the death that it leads to. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which do what? War against the soul. Now, the word abstain simply means to keep yourself away from. So here's the question. You guys have a lot of questions this morning. How do you keep yourself away from what's already in your flesh? How do we arrive at that type of mentality and position? Well, first of all, we note that James says each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Drawn away is an interesting phrase. It comes from a single Greek word that means to drag forth. Or we might even translate it as to get carried away by or with. Now, here's the second thing we need to consider regarding our blessed endurance. And between Peter and James, again, we can package our second observation as this. Listen, the power of the Spirit within us is greater than the temptations that are after us. The power of the Spirit within us is greater than the temptations that are after us. Much like we find in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I like how one pastor put it. Greater is he who is in you than he who is after you. And the enemy is definitely after us, isn't he? He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He roams the earth like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Listen, temptations try and drag us away from trust into doubt. Temptations try and drag us away from purity and immorality. Temptations try and drag us away from fact into believing fables. 
But in Christ we have blessed endurance. Jesus is ours. In Romans 8, 6 through 11, Paul says, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But, man, am I glad for that word. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, oh man, we're getting, it's getting good right here. You ready? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your what? Your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, as the sinless savior, the grave had no right to Jesus body. As one whose sins are covered by the blood of the sinless Savior, sin has no right to our mortal bodies either. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and me. Listen this morning. Are you here? Listen this morning. The devil can't make you do anything. The power of God is greater in you than any temptation he can throw at you. And God is faithful who always has an open door out of every temptation. And all we have to do is take it. Listen, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can be abased or you can abound is how Paul prefaced that statement. You can be full or you can be hungry. You can have all you need or you can need all. You can... Because the lust of the flesh, eyes, and the pride of life has no power over you, and it is not your master anymore, you can live in newness of life as a new creation in Christ. Now, we better move on before I get excited. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every, say every, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now, James is drawing an obvious contrast between the darkness that brings forth death and the light and new life we have in Christ as a kind of firstfruits of his creatures, is how he put it. Now, remember, James is a Jew. He's using Jewish verbiage. He's talking in manners and phrases that they would well understand. But for our understanding, he's drawing a connection between Christians and Christ using the term first fruits. Now, Paul also made this connection to remind us in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 26, where he was having basically debating himself as to whether or not Christ was risen from the dead. But he said, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. For since by man came death, speaking of Adam in the garden, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, speaking of Jesus coming out of the tomb and ascending to heaven. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, he fulfilled the feast of first fruits on the day that he rose from the dead. Afterward, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign 
till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is the wages of sin, which is death, the second death for the unbeliever. Now, the last enemy is going to be destroyed, which is when sin is full grown, it's wages that are reaped. Now, we do know our bodies are all going to experience death except for one specific generation where a whole generation of believers are going to be instantaneously and supernaturally translated from this world into the next. And I believe that could happen perhaps today. Come get us, Lord Jesus. Amen. But every time we understand the birth and death rate remain constant for every one birth, there is one death. We see the wages of sin played out time and time again. But however, there are some who are going to die twice. But there are some who are going to potentially only die once. And those who have only are only going to die once are those who have been born twice. You must be born again. Now, Christ became the first one to die and rise again and remain alive forever. And all those whom he raised from the dead during his ministry here on earth, they died later because he had to be the first one to rise and stay alive because he was the only one who could and then cause that to happen for others. He broke the bond of death. He opened the door to eternal life. And hence, James reminds us that that which comes from above is never temptations born out of trials. He says, every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, a wonderful description of God. Then James uses an interesting phrase when he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now again, he's associating and drawing a word picture for us using the celestial bodies. And James is saying, in essence, as an illustration, listen, the sun and the stars never stop giving their light, even when we can't see them. And even so, there's never a shadow with God. He is always light, no matter the darkness around us. When night comes, it isn't the fault of the sun. It's that the earth turned away from the light. And the same is true of people on earth. It's not that there's an absence of light. It's that people turn to darkness. Jesus said that's why people don't even come to him. That's why the world is condemned, because people love darkness and not the light. And thus he reminds us that when dark times come in our life, God is still there shining. He is still there available for us. And he uses the word variation, which again is a term associated with astronomy, as he describes the father of lights. And the term as it relates to celestial bodies simply means a change of orbit. He says there's no change of orbit with God. God is a constant. He is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the literal meaning of variation, a change of orbit. The figurative meaning is fickleness or variableness. Aren't you glad God isn't fickle? Aren't you glad that he doesn't treat you one way one day and then change his mind to treat you completely differently the next? Apparently I'm the only one that's thankful for that. Now, in other words, God doesn't change. He doesn't give us light on one day and darkness the next. He gives us light in the world of darkness, even in times such as this. Now, the key to our final consideration comes from the opening phrase of verse 18, which is, out of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, here's what we can glean as our closing observation. Listen this morning. Blessed endurance is the right of every true believer. Blessed endurance 
is the right of every true believer. Taking the way of escape from every temptation is the right of every true believer. Now remember the Greek word translated endure means to persevere, to abide, to preserve under misfortunes. Now, hupomeno again is the Greek term used. Now, John 1, 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become. There's a translation that takes place in the life of of a child of God. He gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has brought us forth from his own or of his own will. Now listen, as God's child, who of his own will was brought forth out of darkness by the light of his word, you have within your rights as one of the first fruits of God, the ability to persevere, abide through, and be preserved under times of fiery trials. And the Spirit of God in you is a bulwark between trials and temptations. Our trials do not have to lead to being tempted to doubt or question God. Listen to these promises this morning. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 says, When you pass through the waters, I sure hope you make it. No. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overtake you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? I am the Holy One of Israel. You're what? Your Savior. Remember, that word can mean deliver. Isaiah 54, 17, because it's based on the nature and character of God and his interaction with us in this world as the chosen of God through faith as members of the church. This promise stands fast in the heavens for you and me. And that is no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness comes from where? Comes from me, says who? Says the Lord. Listen, we have an imputed righteousness. The blood of Jesus has put a zero balance in our sin account. And therefore, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. Those are just four of the attributes of blessed endurance. Yes, God allows trials. Just whisper it, say amen. Yes, God allows trials. Yes, the devil tries to exploit them to lead us into temptation. But yes, we have the blessed assurance of blessed endurance. And when we resist the devil, he will go looking for somebody else to harass And the fact is, we need to resist the devil and put him on the run today. There's too many people who are putting up with him instead of putting him on the run. Resist him and he will flee from you. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, Ephesians tells us in 6.14 to 17, stand, therefore. Take a stand. Here's how you do it. You gird your waist with the truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all those things, you take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench how many? All the fiery darts of who? 
the wicked one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, it's always been so, but it's true now more than ever. It's time to take a stand against temptation. For when trials come, the enemy starts lobbing fiery darts of doubt, fiery darts of question. Fiery darts that can tempt you to complacency. And it's the shield of faith in Jesus Christ that can quench them all. It allows us to render his tactics ineffective because no weapon formed will reach its intended end. That's what prosper means. Jesus is coming soon. He's going to meet the church in the air with the dead in Christ. And he's coming back with the church to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This is the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that ought to be in our minds every single day. And with all that's happening in our world and in our country, he is the only one who can stop the moral and spiritual decay that is destroying the world and our country today. The fact is... That's the business he's always been in. He is the great one of heaven who interjected himself into the realm of man when man created a separation and void between he and the fellowship he once enjoyed with God walking in the cool of the day with the king of heaven. Man said, I'll take sin over that. God said, I love man too much to leave him there. I'm going to go get him. It's going to take a cross to do it. It's going to take my blood to pay it. But I'm willing. I'll despise the shame. But for the joy of saving people, I will endure all these things that people might be saved. Listen, among the many blessings you enjoy as a child of God is blessed endurance because God brought us forth out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Somebody say Amen. And Father, we are grateful for this text and this PowerPoint this morning. We thank you for the power that is in this point today. Thank you for the promise that is in this point today. Thank you for the freedom we can see from this point today. This verse, this point in your holy book that tells us there's blessings for those who endure. There's a crown of life awaiting for those who endure, for those who trust you, for those who believe your word is true. Thank you for these things. Thank you for pointing out that temptation is not initiated by you. You're not tempted, nor do you tempt. Even when you allow trials, the temptation aspect of trials is from the devil, and we can resist him and flee, cause him to flee. So we thank you for these things that guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you that that which was surrendered in the garden is being restored by you and someday will be fully, even as your word says, we do not yet see all things put under your feet, but it's coming. And we know that someday when we see you, we'll be like you and we'll see when we see you as you are. Thank you for these exceedingly great and precious promises. Yet we remember you said, occupy until you come. So help us, Lord, in that effort to stay busy being about our Father's business as you were when you walked the earth. To not let trials open the door for temptations. 
but to shut the door on these things by resisting the devil and making him flee. Thank you for the blessed assurance of blessed endurance. Help us to walk with it all the days of our life. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And all God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.